0: all right welcome back to the cannabis update podcast where you get an inside look at the stories and information of leaders and organizations in the cannabis space If you didn't catch my last interview with Ngao Bila, cannabis activist and comedian, it's now on my YouTube page as well. Just look for Cannabis Update and you can actually watch all of my interviews as well as many of the best clips from 2020 onward. Today I spoke with Scott Reifler. He's the chief science officer for a company called Source Technology. We dive deep into the topic of food production and science with THC and CBD. Before we do that though... I just want to thank my sponsors, Keystone Labs. Based in Edmonton, Keystone Labs has been actively involved in the cannabis space for many years now. Essentially, they provide data and analytics on cannabis for four plant and large-scale growers. As you probably know, any cannabis that's being grown and produced for the legal market in Canada needs to be analyzed for things like terpene and cannabinoid profiles, potency, microbiology testing, and more. Keystone Labs provides this much-needed service for growing facilities to ensure that you're adhering to and qualifying for Health Canada requirements. If you want to find out more about Keystone Labs, just give account manager Stephanie Ostrander a call directly. She's a wealth of knowledge and a great person. 780-224-2095. That's 780-224-2095. Slow that down a bit. Or go online to keystonelabs.ca. Shout out once again to Keystone Labs for helping me keep the lights on and deliver this podcast to you. All right, back to today's interview. There's lots of talk about... CBD out there, that's for sure. I really appreciated Scott's candid insights. He didn't just make a bunch of grandiose statements about the wonders of CBD. He was honest and pragmatic. I was left with hope that the THC and CBD food industry has many good things coming over the horizon. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Scott. Thank you. Glad to be here. Start off by telling us uh, who you are, a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, I'm Scott Riefler. I'm um, 62 years old. We reside in uh, Olympia, Washington. I've been a, uh, a scientist my entire life, specifically a material scientist, Um I've participated in a couple of very rewarding careers. My first career was in aerospace materials, Um, uh, did uh, polymeric development for adhesives and composites. So on the lighter side, when you fly in a plane, the glue we developed, the glue I helped Prepare holds that airplane together. <laughs> so did that for about twenty years. Um, actually, there's a there's a bit of detail there. Um, I was able. I had the the great pleasure of working at Fringe Technology, very high temperature materials, low observables. Um, very early in my career, I was taught that actually most things are achievable. When somebody says something can't be done, that's a marker for you should go out and do it. Um, fair. after After spending 20 years in the uh, aerospace industry, I moved over to the food industry and um, that was primarily due to relocations associated with aircraft. Um, we had a daughter who was starting to get up in age, meaning, you know, eight or nine and we wanted to stop moving around. So I changed industries, um, enjoyed the food industry um, at an ingredient company where we produced marketed and sold micro ingredients for food texturizers gelling agents um, those kinds of things um, did that for about 20 years with great success and was actually heading towards retirement and ran into a friend of a friend at a at a concert asked what they were up to so they had just left uh, just left Microsoft um, had uh, submitted for and were awarded one of the cannabis licenses in Washington state and being a lifelong cannabis user I asked him some probing questions and quickly got to the point where, well, have you ever thought about making beverages? And got this long laundry list of why you can't put THC into a beverage. And as I said before, when somebody tells me you can't do something, that's a marker for you should figure out how to do it. So I started working on that. And over the course of about a year's period, we developed um, a water-soluble technology platform for cannabinoids, um, oil formats, which are particularly difficult to work with, and then we've expanded that to include basically all essential oils.
0: I'm going to stop you there for a second. Um, I've been reading online because I had heard uh, many times in the past that um, CBD and cannabinoids are not technically water-soluble. They're water-compatible. Is there a difference?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, Oils are typically not water-soluble. so What we're doing is converting them to a format that makes them very water-compatible um, and on a macro scale, they behave like they're water-soluble. On a micro scale, what we're talking about is emulsion technology, where we enrobe the oil at a, um, at a very small particle size level, enrobe it with a surfactant so that it, it behaves as if it's compatible with water.
0: So this is in drinks in particular, anything that's water-based. Um, is there yeah. a difference between um, doing that with that type of technology – and something that is truly water-soluble in terms of shelf life, in terms of, I guess, developing a product and potency and all these different things?
1: Yeah, and, and I'll try to keep this you know, at a level where it's very easily um, understood. Yeah. But you're, you are definitely talking about some of the finer points. So when you look at the application level, let's go there first. There are some real challenges in bringing cannabinoids into food. They range from the, the more basic things like the sensory cannabinoids are very bitter, often have an earthier, or weedy taste that is not desirable in, in food platforms. There's um, a uniformity or homogeneity issue. When you put THC in a beverage, you want the first sip and the last sip to contain exactly the same amount of THC. So that, that would also be considered a challenge. And then there's the whole way your body interfaces with the oil or the THC or CBD itself. And you'll hear the term bioavailability tossed around pretty openly and freely. But What it really boils down to is specifically with THC, the edible space has this historic reputation of, you know, I'm going to eat this brownie or I'm going to eat this cookie or drink this drink. I don't know if I'm going to feel it in 15 minutes or two hours. I don't know what the intensity is going to be. So I'll use that term bioavailability. What we wanted to do was develop a platform that the edible had as close to a combustion experience as possible, meaning very predictable onset, very short-term onset, and then a half life of an experience, meaning a predictable, how long is this going to stay with me? which again, from a historic standpoint, the brownies and cookies, when you would eat, quote unquote, your mother's brownie, you didn't know when you were going to get lift off. And typically the duration would last the whole day into the evening and maybe even to the next day.
0: Quite often. I'll
1: smile a little bit. When I was younger in college, that's exactly what I was looking for. Um, Not so much anymore. Um, If I drink a beverage, I kind of want to know in advance what I'm going to experience. And essentially when I can drive a car again. So managing that experience. So what we've done is we've embodied all these elements into our platform, specifically so that the cannabinoids can be viewed as ingredients. Add them to the food platform. You're not going to change the flavor. You're not going to change the sensory experience. And you know what? Let's get back to a platform of combustion or combustion-like. I should feel the onset in 15 or 20 minutes, which I recognize is longer than, than a combustion. But for an edible, it's actually quite rapid. And you know what? I want to know that for about an hour, hour and a half, I'm going to have this experience. And then it's going to flush out of my system.
0: Right. Can you clarify Source Technologies, then? And, and just for anybody watching or listening, it's S-O-R-S-E Technologies. Um, are you guys developing this R&D and then selling it to food manufacturers, or are you creating your own products or a combination of both?
1: It, it is a combination of both. Um, we have an arm, a sister company um, that's called Green Med Labs, and that is an active license in the Washington State area where we have a, um, a A series of beverages, um, fundamentally beverages that we sell into the marketplace that do quite well. I think we have three out of the top four. I think we have one slots, one, two, and four in the state of Washington. Um, But additionally, Source Technologies and Fremont Health and Wellness, which is another one of our sister companies, we will convert CBD or cannabinoids, sans THC, because of um, state by state legal requirements and present it as a liquid emulsion for incorporation as an ingredient. Um, In the THC space, we do it state by state on a licensed basis. Um, We work both with people who are producing foods that have their own source of cannabinoids, and also we do a lot of work with um, extractors that want to offer their their extracted materials in, in water compatible formats.
0: Okay. I was fishing around your website a little bit and reading your bio, and one of the things that you had said was that, and I'll read it here to make sure I get it right, uh, I would like to see CBD uh, adapt a ubiquitous form such as powder, which can be added or sprinkled onto any food. Can you elaborate on that?
1: Yeah. Um, yes. That's simply saying that our initial emulsion work was all in liquid liquid format, um, something that you would add as a liquid. Additionally, we can we have, in fact, executed and we have dehydrated that liquid back to a powder form that the moment it sees water, the emulsion reforms. So the CBD now can be presented for a whole range of dry platforms, if you will, um, reconstituted beverages or spices or literally a format that can um, that can be sprinkled onto anything. And where I got that idea, it's not unique to me, but if you go to South America or Brazil, for example, and go to a a local um, deli or restaurant, on every table, there'll be a little jar of a ground root, which is a fiber source. And people sprinkle it on their food routinely because it is viewed as a health benefit. And of course, CBD is developing that reputation or attributes um, um, in our space. Okay, well, let's talk about CBD
0: a little bit in the U.S. I think it's um, a bit more of a Wild West scenario there than in Canada. It's a bit more controlled. Um, where do you draw the line between uh, CBD for medical use and CBD for recreational use?
1: Yeah, and for me, that's a very clear line. As I said, I've got a, um, a background in the food space, and we have these uh, this wonderful regulatory body in the United States um, called the Food and Drug Administration. And one of their main charters is to keep the food supply safe, as well as the pharmaceutical space safe. And as you might imagine, there's a fair amount of regulatory guidance available from FDA, as well as there are a lot of requirements necessary to validate a material is safe to enter the food supply, or if you're making structure function claims, that they're supported with clinical data. And this is, um, this is an interesting world for CBD right now, because, of course, there is an approved drug out there based on CBD. It's for epilepsy, child epilepsy. It's, it's pretty well known. Um, and it's relative to what we would see in what I call the recreational space, considerably higher dosages are, are apparent. Um, I believe the sustaining dose in the epilepsy world is about... 2.5 grams per day, wow. which in the recreational space is the same thing as saying 2,500 milligrams of CBD per day. Yeah, um, In what I'll refer to as the recreational space, CBD does not yet have regulatory status with FDA. It's not an approved food ingredient. If you add it to foods, it's considered adulteration because it's not an approved ingredient for the food space. With this said, um, FDA is very active in um, working with industry to get appropriate regulatory platforms in place. And the FDA has provided great guidance. They've indicated what they're policing for in this interim space, if you will. And specifically, what they have said is structure function claims do not imply human benefit without clinical data to support that. Yeah. Right. What you see in the, what you see in the, what I call the recreational space is relatively low dose versus the medical space. Medical space is 2,500 milligrams per day, sustaining dosage roughly. Whereas in the recreational space, typical dosages or or content of beverages or food range anywhere from a few milligrams to maybe 10 to 20 or 40 milligrams per material. Um, Surrounding this, and I'll I'll just put this out there, there is actually a lot of historic use data for hemp extracts outside of the United States, teas, this kinds of things, primarily in Asia and India, which shows a long history of use at relatively low levels. And ultimately, this use data is going to be used to um, support the contention that this is safe and appropriate for the food space But it needs to be accompanied by a a pretty good slug of toxological data, specifically um, liver impact, so on and so forth. And that work is going on now. We're, in fact, generating that data to help support FDA's um, position of bringing it into the food space. Let's talk about regulations
0: in the U.S. Then I'll I'll stick with CBD for a little bit. Um, And I've asked this to a couple of other uh, people I've interviewed, but... um, Apparently, you can go into gas stations, you can go anywhere in many states, and buy a wide range of consumer products that contain, allegedly contain CBD. Um, is this kind of a losing game for the FDA at this point? As it are the I guess manufacturers getting ahead of the ability to regulate. Um, What are the problems you guys have in the U.S. right now?
1: Well, uh, one is acceptance in in terms of the various channels to market. Uh, I'll I'll start out by saying, no, I don't think it's a losing game for FDA. And and I'm going to be, I'm a hawk on this. Um, FDA has a very clear and substantial responsibility the first time a consumer picks something up at one of these gas stations and ends up in the hospital because it's made them sick, because of an, not because the product itself isn't good, but there's been an unintended consequence because of interactions with other things the person's consuming. Maybe even their other pharmaceuticals, prescription drugs. Um, the amount of work required to bring something safely into the food supply is substantial. Um, interactions, for example, have to be considered, and it, it's almost endless. Um, so what you're seeing is what I call the gray zone, and we have lots of gray zones in our culture and in our cult- in our country, where we have regulatory guidance that says one thing, and then we have um, human behavior that is a bit different than what the guidance provides, and that's what you're seeing happen. People people believe they're safe, so they're going to go out and do it, and then what happens is we have so you know um, what I call rational selective enforcement where knowing minds look at the situation and say, you know, there was not an obvious substantial danger here. So here's how we're going to handle this until data is available. And I I don't mean to be speaking for FDA, but in my mind, that's clearly what's happening right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And the data will catch up. And what will happen, the people that are at risk are the folks that are viewing this as the wild west and a short-term gold rush, if you will that aren't doing the real work, aren't doing the real science, and when regulatory does catch up, and it will, they won't have the database or the experience to participate going forward. They're yeah, in, yeah. be back out. Seems
0: like the U.S. is doing it the exact opposite way as in Canada. Like, it's actually much harder to get CBD products um, legally here in Canada than I think it is in the U.S. We're a more horse before the cart. You guys are cart before the horse, maybe. Um I know that this is a question you'd have to speculate on the answer because maybe it's a bit anecdotal, but is there a possibility that people are over-consuming CBD already?
1: Um, Well, you know, the scientists in me say, does the possibility exist? Well, certainly it exists. But uh, that was a big question. We'll we'll break that down into a couple of answers. Um, First of all, um, regulatory harmony around the globe would be wonderful. Um, each country, if you will, or each entity has their own regulatory body that's similar to the FDA. And these organizations obviously interface with each other, but there are different cultural philosophies. Um, in the United States, we actually have, it may not seem like it, but we actually have a posture of presumed safety. The material is considered safe unless data is generated to show that it is not safe, simply stated. Canada, on the other hand, and and much of Europe is the opposite. It's, a, it's an approach of presumed caution. If you're going to bring something into the food supply, you must prove it safe under a variety of conditions and interactions before it would be considered appropriate. So it's not surprising to see different, different countries have different approaches. Um, and Canada's done something different and I think is showing great leadership. Um they view CBD, this, in my understanding, CBDV is viewed as the same way THC is viewed. It's a holistic approach to the plant and what's in the plant, so on and so forth. In the United States, because marijuana um, as a plant appears on, um, on our drug list, if you will, yeah. Yeah. Um, a carve out has been made for CBD via hemp and hemp has got a very specific standard of identity that requires that in the leaf mass, there be no more than 0.3% by weight THC present. And while we don't have guidance at further extraction levels and concentrations with the amount of THC that's allowed, the industry has adopted a position of of caution and said, well, if the plant matter, you're only allowed to have 0.3% THC. We're going to say the same thing is true for extracted materials. Any form of the hemp extract shall not exceed 0.3% THC because that's the intent of the regulation in the Farm Bill. It's clear that they want to speak to providing an avenue for CBD, but they want it absent of the psychotropic effects provided by THC, which is still very heavily regulated in the U.S. And that gets back to, again, regulatory is catching up because the federal government has said, we recognize on a state level there's a drive for making THC legal. It's illegal at the federal level, but we are not going to enforce that over states that have a program in place and that, you know, are doing, I don't want to say the right things, but keeping it out of, keeping it away from children, keeping dosages level controlled, so not making a structure function claims, so on and so forth. Talking
0: about uh, consumer packaged goods, when it comes to food that uh, has CBD or THC in particular, um, what kind of precautions or testing is being done in addition to what would normally be done with food products? And, and speak maybe speak to source technology when you answer that, too.
1: No, that's a, that's a very good question. Um, so let's just assume that the food product is adequately controlled. It's manufactured under what's known as good general manufacturing processes. You'll hear the term GMP quite often in that regard. That's what that stands for. Um that the food is um, got the right preservatives in it, the shelf life is is correct, the, um, the label declaration is correct, the nutritional information is correct. You have all that stuff, and let's just assume all that's correct. Now we start talking about the cannabinoid. Now we are talking about what our technology addresses and delivers. Um, the easy the, the easy stuff, the not easy to achieve, but of a lower level, sensory. Um, I'm an old guy. I have eaten brownies at a, <laughs> Cookies, honey slides from the old days. They taste terrible. Um, they're gritty, they're granular, um, it smells like weed. It's just not a pleasant experience. So, we want to flip that. If you're going to eat a food that has CBD or a cannabinoid in it, we want it to be able to stand on its own two feet in terms of enjoyment. It tastes good. So we wanted to manage and isolate the negative sensory, which is embodied in our encapsulation approach to our emulsion. Um, The next bit um, is uniformity. Um, Anybody that's ever made salad dressing at home, um, you shake it and within about three or four seconds, all the oil is rising to the top as quickly as it can get there. And, or another example, perhaps closer to home, if again, you're my vintage, everybody remembers a beverage called Yuhu. and uh, Carly Skremski on TV telling everybody, before you drink this stuff, you shake it. And the reason you shake it is the fats that are in there to make it silky smooth and rich, they tend to float to the top and they appear as like a white layer. So you shake it to get it in. We don't want that in the, in the cannabinoid arena. Um, we want the oils uniformly dispersed and to be stable. Um, A good example would be flavors in a soda pop. The flavors are typically oils and you don't realize it, but often they're an emulsion and they are dispersed and done in a manner that keeps them uniformly dispersed. So we we have embodied that type of an approach into our emulsion. And there's a lot of technology that goes behind that and a lot of specifics. If you put an emulsion in beverage that is just water, Um, The water has a specific density, speaks to how quickly the oils will rise or sink. But now if I put a bunch of sugar in that beverage, now the density of the fluid has changed. So therefore, I have to adjust my emulsion to make sure that I've got that kind of long term stability present. And then second to last is how does it interface with my body? Um, we've all heard a lot of um, anecdotal stories about how the body doesn't really like to process oils. If I throw it into my stomach, my gosh, it could take two hours before I feel it. So what we wanted to do was deliver in a format that the body will readily accept. That's probably the easiest way to say it. We've actually done some pharmacokinetic studies. You'll hear the term PK studies and it stands for pharmacokinetics, the rate at which the material is absorbed into the body. So we've done some testing where we look for CBD detection in the blood. And in our first series of tests, and we're very pleased by this, we found, it, um, we found presence of CBD in the blood within five minutes of ingestion, which is pretty damn quick, mm-hmm. right? It, 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 approaches, um, it approaches that of combustion. Now, to get to levels where you're actually going to start feeling something, it's going to take a little bit longer than that. But one of the reasons we were so pleased is we did our first blood draw five minutes and it was already there. So in our next series of tests, we're going to be doing blood draws continuously from 30 seconds on, and we believe we're going to see presence earlier than five minutes. And as a control for that, we actually used um, a format that was essentially the same as the, um, um, as the epilepsy drug, um, Epidiolex. And that material didn't show up in the blood until about 15 or 20 minutes after ingestion. And it has everything to do about the, the format in which it's presented. And then, lastly, of course, we need to make this something that can be easily incorporated into existing manufacturing lines, which is often forgotten. Um, a lot of people gets their get their start in the in the either CBD or THC or cannabis arena in their kitchens or in their garage, where you're basically doing everything by hand. Well, that's great, but now I want to go on a I want to go on a manufacturing line that's filling cans or bottles of twenty thousand cans an hour. We have to be able to drop into existing uh, manufacturing lines. So a liquid format that's easily blended or a dry powder that can be dry blended in is is really the the appropriate answers.
0: Okay. And this might be self-explanatory, but um, are you guys at a point now with uh, food products that have CBD in them that you can create something that has the same shelf life as something that does not, or you were talking about mixing and that sort of thing before. Um, is it safe to say now that beverages, maybe chocolates or anything else with the THC CBD in it uh, using perhaps your technology, can it sit on the shelf for the same amount of time as an equivalent product that does not have CBD or THC infused into it?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And, uh, and I'm going to give several layers of answer. Um, and a lot of it has to do with the material it's going into. Um, at the extreme side, something like Spam, I don't even think has an expiration date. And I, and I don't mean that to be funny. It's a very stable food product. Um, all ingredients are not stable forever. Yeah. And at the other, for the other end of the spectrum, you have something like milk that requires refrigerated storage. And even with refrigerated storage, you know, you've got about a month's shelf life. So you've got to keep things in context. Cannabinoids themselves deteriorate slowly with time. THC much more quickly than CBD does. Um, And there's a difference when you start talking food platforms. If you're talking something like a vape cartridge, um, you know what I mean is a distillate or an extract of THC, where it's presented in bulk form, meaning relatively little surface area per volume, the shelf life is actually quite good, and the deterioration loss of THC assay is a very slow proposition. When you go into the food environment, you're introducing water, and cannabinoids are, are somewhat stable in the presence of water. Um, but we're talking about very small particles now where the surface area versus volume, is quite high. So things like oxidation happen more quickly. So the assay stability, which is a which is a very important marker, definitely will have some sort of a shelf life associated with it. And there are many factors. Um, the rate of deterioration is a function of temperature. Um, a beverage is going to have a longer assay stability at room temperature than it is at 140 degrees, for example. And it will be even more stable at at a refrigerated condition. For our beverages, we find room temperature storage, we get good shelf life, certainly up to the six month um, area. Um, Beyond that, again, it's gonna be somewhat a function of storage. So the message here is, and I've skipped a little bit of a step, but under no case is the cannabinoid deteriorating into something that is hazardous, that's gonna make you ill, or you're gonna get a bad effect. The worst that will happen is, the effect will be diminished. So spoilage isn't really a concern here. That's going to be driven by the food platform itself, if, if, if that makes sense. CBD tends to be much more stable than THC in terms of oxidative stability and deterioration. Um, but then there's something out and I'll throw it out there and, and it is appropriate. You also have to be concerned with interaction with packaging materials themselves um, in the beverage arena glass and PET are essentially inert to these materials. Um, Cans, though, um, have linings in them. And it's not unique to cannabinoids, but the linings interact with materials and absorb things like THC or CBD or flavors. So right now, the industry is sorting out, you know, if I put this much CBD in the can, I want to make sure it all stays in the liquid. Or if, I, if I'm going to put a label claim of X amount of CBD on my can, how much do I have to put into it to account for what's going to be absorbed into the liner? Because it's what the consumer gets what's important. And this gets us right back to FDA and their role in protecting the consumer for label claims. If the label says it has this in it, you, you damn well better find it in there or the FDA is going to have something to say to you, right? <laughs>
0: yeah, that's fair too.
1: It's... It's not as easy as one would think. And when you when you pull the cover back, there's typically a lot of detail that has to be sorted. And we were talking earlier about, you know, you go to the gas station and you buy something and no dig about people that use gas stations as their channel to market. But branded companies are concerned with their reputation, the longevity of the brand itself, and consumers are testing things. So that's going to be another sift, if you will, or as industry consolidates. So those that have good product, good labeling, good label um, matching, those are the companies that are going to survive. So should someone
0: watching this video want to go out and check uh, a product uh, that's being made by Source Technologies? Um, what can they look for right now on the marketplace?
1: Um, mostly beverages. Um, the, the companies, because we are fundamentally an ingredient supplier, so I'll speak to CBD first on a national or even global basis. Um, many of the companies we work with, um, ask that we not name drop them because they see use of our ingredient as a competitive advantage. But if you wanted to see our technology at work, um, I'd say the national brands that are out there, beverages that contain CBD, a good percentage of them have our material inside. Um, some companies like to co-brand, and you'll see powered by source on the label, and you can get, and you can look for that. On the THC side, um, if you want to see our product at work, come to Washington, go to a dispensary, buy a happy apple, or buy a product called Major. Happy apple is apple juice, um, dosed and lightly carbonated, and it's a range of anywhere between between 5 and 100 milligrams of THC in a bottle. You pick. I tend to pick the smaller ones. Um, uh, Also, the brand is uh, introducing varying levels of CBD as well because our state regulations now allow that. Um, The other uh, lead branding product is Major. It's actually the one that knocked our happy apple out of the number one slot to number two. Um, Major is a value drink. And I I do grin a little bit when I say some of these things. It's 7 ounces in a bottle, anywhere between 5 and 100 hundred milligrams per bottle, um, available in, in a variety of flavors, but, uh, grapefruit and, um, kiwi watermelon are absolutely killing it. And we have recently launched a flavor known as uh, unicorn tears. That's also just, just absolutely killing it. Um, and you'll get a you'll you'll get a sense, and not not to not to promote it so much, but major went from zero to first in class in sixty days. To give you an idea of how well it's accepted by the community.
0: Wow! Well, next time I'm in the U.S., I suppose I'll have to check it out. Um, as you probably know, the uh, most potent THC infused edible product you can buy on the legal market here in Canada is ten milligrams, and
1: for me, that's enough. Actually, a hundred?
0: I can't even imagine.
1: <laughs> no, and and uh, I mean, there's a whole subject there about um, bioavailability, but I will say that we have a, um, a partner, a company that has licensed our technology for Canada, a company by the name of Valens. They're one of the leading extractors in Canada, mm-hmm. and they are doing a tremendous amount of work in um, applications engineering so that they can white-label products for a variety of companies in the Canadian market. So, if you don't already have access to it, you will, you will very shortly. Um, and if you have time for this, it's worth walking through. Um, 10 milligrams, when you eat it, I consider that to be a pretty substantial dose. Yeah, I agree. Um, And you'll hear people all the time say, oh, we have this waterborne technology or water soluble technology that enhances the, micro- the bioavailability by 10x or by 8x. And what typically isn't being done is they're not finishing the sentence. Um, uh, a joint, a marijuana cigarette, has roughly a gram of matter in it, right? A, a, roughly a gram of plant matter. Yeah. And most of the, most of the marijuana grown today is about 20% THC content. So one gram, 20%, one gram is a thousand milligrams. That means that joint has about 200 milligrams of THC in it. And, you know, you can smoke a joint by yourself or pass it around, but that's a lot of THC. People don't realize a tremendous amount is lost to smoke. It just doesn't get into your body. So when people say the bioavailability is enhanced by 10 times, well, think about it. A joint's got 200 milligrams in it. One tenth of that is 20 milligrams, which is still a substantial dose if you're eating it, right? Yeah. So when people are bragging about their bioavailability associated with their product form, it's like, well, yeah, you're kind of stating the obvious, aren't you? Yeah. (laughs) The difference being, if I can get it so that it all gets into my body uniformly, I'm getting the benefit of that 10 or 20 milligrams right away as if I was combusting it. But if it drips into my system slowly without the advantage, Manages of these delivery technologies. Now I've got something that's going to last eight, 10, 12, 20 hours. Of course, the intensity isn't going to be the same. Yeah, and sometimes too long for that. Um, yeah. Thanks for doing this,
0: Scott. I appreciate it. I, I learned a lot from you today. And of course, about Source Technologies.
1: Uh, ha- happy to. This is a good experience for me. As I said, this is my first podcast. It's uh, It's been enjoyable. Thanks for having us. Thanks to
0: Scott from Source Technology for talking at length about what they do and what to expect in the legal, edible space. To find out more about their products, check them out at sourcetech.com. That's Tech. Dot com. All right, I ask this every time because it's important and it helps me to grow the podcast. Please like, subscribe, share, tell your friends, shout from the rooftops about the podcast if you need to. Anything helps. The more downloads or plays that my interviews get, the better the guests that come onto the show. Funny how that works. Anything that you can do to show your support would be greatly appreciated. Nonetheless, thank you for listening. And to find out more about this podcast, you can always find me on Instagram and Twitter at can update pod That's at cann update P-O-D, or just check out my media company, distinctmedia.ca. All right, hit it, Amber.
1: Thanks for listening to the Cannabis Update podcast. We do our very best to be as accurate as possible, but take no responsibility for inaccurate details or facts. If something interests you, we're glad to have brought it to your attention, but please take the time to research the details for yourself.